Hey, I wanted to mention to you about the message this morning, what we're going to do. We're going to talk about how to live in the last days. I don't know what you think about the time in which we live, but a lot of people feeling like we live in the last days. So I want to answer the question, are we living in the last days? Then I also want to talk about how do we live in the last days. So let's pray, then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for today that we can be here. Thank you, Father, that you are enthroned in heaven above, that there is no one like you that you are sovereign, that you are awesome in all of your ways. We bow our hearts and knees before you today. May we walk in the light as you are in the light. Father, I pray that as you are the sustainer, our provider, our everything, we thank you that you saved us at the cross. We thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you for forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And ask that you begin a new work, that you'd bless us this morning, and that we would be strengthened and hear the voice of God through the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So excited to read to you from James chapter 5, beginning verse 7. If you want to stand to your feet in honor of the God-breathed Word of God. So James chapter 5, beginning verse 7, says this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, or so that you may not be judged, because the judge is standing at the door. An example of suffering and patient, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, and you've heard of the steadfastness or the patience of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, don't swear, either by heaven or by earth, let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall into condemnation. So you may be seated. The title of the message is, How to Live in the Last Days. So James doesn't just want to have us learn things. He wants us to know how to live, how to live here. So James is both for all about learning about the Christian life, but then how to live the Christian life. So if you're new to church, you're going to get insights about what it would look like if you were a Christ follower, how you would live. So James brings up the subject of the last days and how we're to live in the final hours of human history. And James reminds us, friends, that Jesus is going to return again. So he says this three different times, just in this little passage, that Jesus is going to return again. You look at verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, for the coming of the Lord. It's near. Then he says, Don't give up hope, the next verse, because the Lord is coming soon. And then again in the next verse, he says, The judge is near and ready to appear. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, check it out, that in the last days, what's it going to be like? What's our culture going to be like? What are we to expect? He says, makes it very clear that perilous times will come. You can bank on it that they will be perilous times. In other words, there will be perilous times of great stress, of great trouble. There will be hurtful times, harmful times, anxious times, dangerous times. These are the times which are going to come. Uncertain, insecure, perilous 
times. Anybody see that we're living in those very times right now? And so Christ followers are increasingly then going to be under attack in a collapsing culture. It literally means, when it says perilous, it means exceedingly fierce. Now think about that. What did you say that the times we live, they're just fierce. They're exceedingly fierce times. And so we're in the last days. We're in the uh, days of collapse, days of moral collapse, spiritual collapse, cultural collapse, financial collapse, political collapse, and there's this political cultural pressure as never before. And so James then is writing to Christ followers who were under attack, who were scattered then, who are under attack now and scattered now. And he's saying that in that generation and in this generation, we are in the last days. So having said that, we don't want to be discouraged if you're a follower of Christ. You can be confident. You can have an expectant faith here because, friends, we know the end of the story, right? We know the end of the story. So I'm not trying to be cute, but we know the end. And so Jesus said this about the end times in Matthew 24. You can read about the end times in Matthew 24 and then 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Peter 3. But Jesus said this. Check it out. He said, there will be great distress in the world at that time, unparalleled since the world has begun. And so that is what we're going to face, unparalleled stress that the world has never seen. So what I know to be true is this. Are we in the last days? Well, this is what I know. We are closer to Jesus' return than ever at any point in history. So Jesus said three times in Matthew chapter 24, be ready, be ready, be ready. So my friends, are you ready? Are, are some of us, we're ready. Some honestly, we're not ready here. So we want to talk about how do you ready yourself to live in the last days? How should I live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. Now, we don't know when he's coming back, but we do know that he's coming back. So then in light of that, I mean, how do I prepare for his coming? How should I live to prepare for his coming? Like James gives us some very practical instructions where we live. So number one is this. I'm going to reach back to James chapter 4. But number one is this. Since you know the end of the story, here is how you're to live in the last days. Number one. Said in James chapter 4, verse 5, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He said, give yourself completely to God. So number one is this, is draw close to Christ. You don't know when he's returning, but it doesn't matter. You just draw close to Christ. So God is intensely, immensely desirous of us. Now, regardless if we know we're drawn near to the climax of history or not, regardless of that, we know this is how we're to live. With an attitude of, ah, I'm not going to wait on God. No, I'm going to draw near. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to take the first step. I'm going to take a move toward God, and then God will draw near to me. So it says to be in relationship with God, to stay connected to Christ, to be closer to him, to live in communion with him. So he has ransomed us and rescued us, friends, that we could know him and love him and follow him. So number one is this, how we live in the last days as if we would draw close to Christ. Then he continues again in the next verse, and he says this, dear brothers and sisters, in other words, he is clearly talking to the church. And he says this about 
in light of the Lord's return. Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Now, I don't know about you, but how did you feel when I said that, be patient? Is anybody in here like you just want to get impatient when you heard the word, be patient? I mean, will our nation, and will our generation be remembered as the patient generation? Friends, I'm asking you, will we be remembered as that? Or will we be remembered as the microwave generation? Come on, the Siri generation, the impatient generation. I, I don't love hearing that. I didn't, even lo- I didn't even like reading that, to be honest with you. Patient is not a word that I love. Does anybody love the word patient? Just by a show of hands, you love the word. Okay, so no one loves the word patient, but yet the Bible says you got to be patient I mean, what are we going to do with this, friends? What are you going to do? It says be patient. Not one person raised their hand that they liked being patient. I mean, we live in the most impatient culture imaginable. You get on the freeway sometimes, it feels like NASCAR. You know what I mean? I was going through Del Taco on, I think it was Thursday. I go through there a lot. I think it was Thursday. And I saw the DoorDash sign. I'd never noticed that. And I thought to myself, it's not enough that we drive through to get our food. We don't even have to prepare it. But we even have DoorDash where they can dash the food to your door. I mean, that's the culture in which we live. And so we're in a hurry for everything. We're in a hurry to get our driver's license. We're in a hurry to get your driver's license. If you can remember when that day was. Some of us can remember. Some of us just got our driver's license. You're in a hurry to get your driver's license. Then you're in a hurry to graduate from high school. Come on, somebody. I know I'm, I'm talking to somebody. Then, we're, then you're going to get to college, and I guarantee you, because I've done it, I was in a hurry to get through with college. And then you're in a hurry to get through the next kind of school. And this is just how we live. Then, and then everything's got to be faster and faster and faster. Our computer's got to be lightning fast. And then our phone's got to be faster. So what does he mean when he's talking about patient? Well, it's interesting. He uses two words in the original Greek language, and one of the words was macros. Macros, what? That means macro big, like macro mega, huge, like long, big. Okay, and then it also, then it uses the word thermo, which means where we get our word temperature or temper. So it's saying, look, in light of the Lord's coming, like how do you live in the last days? Well, you got to do something here. You got to adopt this attitude of this big, macro, patient, long-suffering is what he's talking about here. means the ability then, adopting like, coming into an ability to suffer long. Like not to just retaliate with all the absolute out-of-control craziness of our world. So how long, I want to ask you, how long are we supposed to do this? Like how long are we supposed to be patient? It's in your Bible right there. It says, how long? Until the Lord's return. So you only have to be patient until the Lord's return. But until then, the divine mandate of the Scripture for the last days is, we got to figure this out, friends, until the Lord's coming. So now we know it's hard to be patient, right? Can we agree it's hard to be patient? So what do we do in light of that? Well, James says, hey, I got you covered. Knowing we need all types of help. He says, I'm going to give you an example of a farmer. I'm going to give you the example of Job. I'm going to give you an example of prophets, and you're going to understand. So we're going to look at each one of those things individually because they're going to speak to us about how to live in the last days. And then he begins with the farmer. He wants to encourage us. He says this, consider the farmers who patiently wait for the, the rains in the fall and in the spring. 
Well, what is that talking about? Well, he's talking about this. That is, first of all, if you're in a rush, can you be a farmer? If you're like, you want to lead, live at the speed of light, can you be a farmer? No. So this is talking about a whole different type of mindset here because a farmer has to be patient. Think about it. they got to cultivate. There's, you can't grow food fast. you got to cultivate the ground. Then you got to put in the miracle grow or the fertilizer or whatever they do. Then you got to put in the seeds. Then you got to deal with the gophers. Then you got to deal with the bugs. Anybody planted a garden, you know what I'm talking about? They, they just wreck everything. So it's a lot of work. So James is saying that, look, this is going to be a lot of work. There's a process involved here, and it takes time. So you cannot be impatient with the coming of the Lord. So he's saying they eagerly look at the valuable harvest to ripen. So James is saying this, that we have to be farmer-like in that we got to recognize there are different seasons of life. And God wants to produce in us a harvest, a spiritual harvest. And it says that the fruit, it's so valuable. It's so precious. But you got to realize this. God working in you a spiritual harvest, yes, it's valuable and, and precious, but it's going to take time. So God wants to have in each of our lives, during the last days, a spiritual harvest. And we got to be patient for this. So our hearts, then, are like the soil. God's Word is like the seed which is planted in us. But there's going to be hard times. There's going to be times when you lose your health. You're going to lose your wealth. You're going to lose whatever's precious to you. So there's seasons of life is what he's talking about here. But what is the purpose of it all? So that God can produce a crop. So that God can produce a spiritual harvest of fruit. A treasure in your life in the last days. Now listen carefully to this guy I'm going to, I'm going to quote. He's a 1600, uh, 1600, he was born, Samuel Rutherford. Listen to the wisdom of his words. Why should I tremble at the plow of my Lord? He is, he says, uh, that makes deep furrows in my soul. He is not an idle farmer. He purposes a crop. I'm going to read it again. Why should I tremble at the plow of my Lord that makes deep furrows in my soul? He's not an idle farmer. He purposes a crop. Think about that. That God is a God that is like the master farmer purposing in you a crop. So when God allows sorrow and God allows suffering and God allows seasons and rain to fall, just remember that he is a God who purposes a crop in you. That God is working in your life right now, even as I speak, wanting to bring a harvest of spiritual fruit. So number one is that we need to draw near to God in the last times. Number two is that we need to be long-suffering or patient. Galatians put it this, puts it this way. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Is it easy to grow weary in well-doing by show of hands? Like it really is. It's extremely easy. That's why we quit. That's why we quit all the time. That's why America as a nation, as a nation we really don't like follow through well. We, we, we quit. And so people quit all the time because we just grow weary and tired and burned out. And so it says, don't though grow weary in well-doing, but because if, if we don't, we'll reap a harvest. 
So just don't quit on your marriage. Don't quit in school just if it's difficult. Don't quit on your career. You, I think so, so many times we quit because of how we feel rather than hearing the voice of God. And so don't quit. People quit on church. People in COVID world are quitting church. People are quitting their faith. People are quitting on God. And so in a generation that seems to quit on almost everything at every turn, watch what James says so timely, verse 8. But you too, in the last days, must be patient. Watch what he says. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. So the third thing that we need to do in the last days is that we need to see that our hearts are established. What does that mean, our hearts were established? It means this, spiritually to be firm, to have like spiritual like backbone. It means literally then the strengthening of your inner person. It means in firmness of faith. Friends, it means in, watch, it means in an inner resolve, uh, that, that faith to keep on keeping on is, is what it's speaking of here. And so, uh, this is a type of person that you are to be, to have a heart that is established. I really believe that in these days in which we live, the last days, how are you going to survive and how are you going to make it unless your heart is established? So everybody, young people, old people, in our cars, online, in the tents, we really got to get a hold of this and process this to have hearts that are established. And then check this out. As we're waiting on the Lord's return, he says this, stop complaining. Not that this would apply to anybody in the room, okay? Not that there's, or in the cars, or online. Not that it would apply, but he says this, watch. Read your Bibles, verse 9. Don't grumble about, thank you, about each other, brothers and sisters, talking to the church. Then, so what does it mean to grumble? It means literally this, in the original language, it means this. Oh, it means to groan. It means to, to, to murmur. It means just to be overdone with frustration. So he says, don't be grumbling. Don't be chronically complaining about everything. And I get it. We have lots to complain about. Our nation uh, is going in the wrong direction, in my opinion. And so there are so many things in culture, our nation, to complain about and to grumble about. But he says, here's how you live in the last days, don't grumble. So in other words, recognize this. He recognizes this. He's saying the judge is standing at the door. I think what it's saying to us is point number five is this, is, is that we don't always recognize the nearness of God to our lives. Uh, we, would this, we would live differently if we did. Let me give this example. Like, say you're having it out with somebody at the house. You're arguing with your parents or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your kids or whatever. And you are into it. And you're getting hot. And so and you're arguing. All of a sudden, doorbell rings. You open the door. There's Jesus. If you realize the nearness of God, your life would change. I'm telling you, uh, we, would, we would change. But so he's saying, like, look. All of the toxic negativity that we live in, all of the chronic grumbling, if we just realize this one thing, the nearness of God, that the judge, it says, is standing right there at the door. So I think sometimes we need a little attitude adjustment. 
But then he goes on and he says this. So we're unpacking this whole idea about being patient, about being long-suffering. says, okay, you got the farmer. You got the whole idea with planting seeds. You got to be patient. Check that box. Now he's going to talk about another way to be patient, and that is not just working like a farmer works, but witnessing, telling your story like the prophets would tell their story and witness. Look at verse 10. For example of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters talking to the church, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So James now is talking about prophets, real spiritual hero types, amazing. Uh, now, and the prophets here are known for their speaking, for their witnessing with their mouths. So he talks about working with your hands, but now also witnessing with your mouth, sharing your story. So he's saying, in essence, that we're to be busy in the last days, like farmers, working, but also with our mouths, looking at the prophets. So he's talking about Jeremiah, Elijah, Isaiah, Joseph, Daniel, all those amazing prophets. So I just want to unpack a few of them to kind of drive home the point about how do we live in the last days. So think of Elijah as a prophet. Consider the prophets. We're going to do that for a few minutes. The guy's run out of town. Uh, He's because of his faith. So he becomes so depressed that what he does is he says, I just want to die. Praise that he would die. Aren't you glad that God doesn't answer like all of your prayers when you praying that you just want to die? So God told Elijah, hey, you need a nap. Just take a nap. Elijah, you're going to feel better. And then he has the angel of the Lord bring him like this cake. And so uh, an angel bakes a cake. I think they called it angel food cake back in the Old Testament. And so they, they brought him the cake. But now watch this. Watch this. He was so energized. He was so fired up by the angel food cake and the nap that 40 days, I mean, he just took off like a speeding bullet faster than the speed of light. And so it, re, it rejuvenated him. So before we get lost in, in this here, I also want to recognize that God even, God even took a raven to meet his needs. I mean, think about this. We're talking about a flying garbage disposal, essentially. And Bibles say this. Check it out. The Bible scholars say this, that uh, they've done the math and everything. That they may that the, the the ravens may have served Elijah two thousand meals. I mean, think about what he was getting. I mean, they're scavengers of decaying flesh there and eating leftovers. But here's the point. Here's the point. The point is, is that God comes to you and meets you in your circumstances wherever you're at, just like Elijah. And God raised him up when he felt like quitting, when he felt like dying. God raised him up to finish and to fulfill his mission. And that's what we're to do in the last days, is to be raised up. Don't be grumbling and complaining and getting sideways. Be raised up to complete and to fulfill your mission. Think of Jeremiah. Another story where he's just thrown in a muddy cistern there, left to die. But also God stirred his heart. I mean, he had a, he had a rough, rough journey 40 years of preaching. Basically, nothing is happening. He's preaching messages. He's like, there's falling to the ground, not even getting out to the cars that drive in church. So, but I'm encouraged by what God did in Elijah's life. I'm encouraged by what God did in Jeremiah's life. So, 
Uh, so James is saying, look at all the women, look at all the men, look at their lives, consider them, and they will encourage you. They were doing God's will, yet they suffered. So you can be God's person, you can be God's messenger, be doing God's will, and you, will, you may suffer. suffer. So you need that mega, macro, big thing inside you of long-suffering and patience. So Joseph is my last one because I love Joseph, and I got to squeeze him in. So Joseph, you may know his story, that he was sold into slavery. He then was falsely accused of rape. Then he ends up being in the slammer in a dungeon for years. Everybody's forgetting him. And he's thinking to himself, God, like what, are you, like, what are you doing with my life? You gave me all those dreams, all those amazing dreams, and all those promises, and nothing is happening in my life. And then in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he said this, these words over his life. What Satan intended for evil, God intended for good. That was his perspective. And a lot of people say, you know, you just need good vision, you need 2020 vision. I would submit to, submit to you the times we, that we live, you need Genesis 50-20 vision, this vision right here of knowing, watch, that God is working. God is weaving all things for your instance, everything in your life. God is weaving and working in your life. And God is strong. And God is able. And God is sufficient. And no matter what is going on in your life, the Bible is saying that God has got you. God will help you. God will prepare, pro propel you in the last times. And so, and the only thing, think about uh, this here now in verse 11. So we got our third example, our final example. Don't amen me on that. Our final example, verse 11. It says, we give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about jo jo Job, a man of great endurance. You see how the Lord was kind to him in the end. So in the last days, what it calls for, friends, is like Job to learn of endurance. You've heard of Job. Many people have heard of him. And so we talked about the farmer. We talked about the prophets. In the last days, though, there's another thing we have to have that is unique to Job, and it is this, is that his endurance didn't have to be like the farmer's endurance. His endurance wasn't like the prophet's endurance so much with dealing with people, but his endurance has to do with circumstances. And you think about his life, there's God sort of bragging on on Job, and so he says, hey, have you seen my man? Have you seen this guy, Job? He's amazing. He says he loves God and hates evil. Satan comes out to him. He's kind of tapping into the conversation. He says, you know, if you just gave me a shot at him, it's only because you bless him, but if you gave me a shot at him, he would curse you to your face. God said, okay. He said, go ahead. Take your best shot. And so Job then loses his family. Loses all his children, loses his health, loses financial world, loses his health. It is, it is as bad as can be. Job then says, but I know my Redeemer lives still. Long-suffering, he goes, I know my Redeemer lives still. And so Job then is an illustration to us of long-suffering then, of not giving up. I mean, you think about Job. It was a bad thing. It was, it was really just a rough, rough, rough Day. I mean, the only thing that he had going for him was his loving, doting, uh, encouraging, supportive wife. 
who said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Like, thank you, honey. I, I really needed that. That really encourages me. But in Job 1.21, he said this, one of the great confessions of faith that he learned in that season, and he said this. He said, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. So he had that perspective that helped him live his life, that no matter what came or what went, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And so uh, he would close his his, uh, his testimony with this, Job 42, verse 5. And listen to these words. He said, I have heard of you. That's talking about God. Like, I've heard of you. Like, I know you're out there, God, and all. But then he says, but through this, he said, by the hearing of the ear. But now, my eye, it sees you. See, now, through what I've gone through, I experience you. Now I know that you are sovereign. Now I know that you are sufficient. Now I see it, that you are strong. Now I see you're enough for my problem. I see that I can be steadfast in you. I see that I can endure. Job here encompasses uh, long-suffering, macro-big long endurance inspires me. And it tells us this. There's nothing that can happen in our life, friends, that doesn't pass through the grid of the love and the purpose of God. Just like in his life, everything is filtered through God's love and filtered through God's purpose. So if we could take this to heart... This is how we're to live in the last days. We don't need to wonder how to live in the last days. So at the end of his days, at the end of Job's days, God had accomplished something so wonderful to make Job better. He was better at the end of the journey than the beginning of the journey. He was more blessed at the end of the journey than at the beginning of the journey. He was more humble more godly, greater character, more blessed because he endured. And I would submit to you that the same possibility could be real for us, that the end of your journey could be better than the beginning if we will, we will walk in the way that has been prescribed in James chapter 5. So I want to just pray a prayer over us uh, of this. If you could close your eyes and bow your heads. Father, thank you that you talk to us about the last days. And whatever our circumstance, wherever we're at this morning, one thing we know is that you are in control, that you are compassionate, and you are a God who is full of mercy. And you are a God who, like, is not an idle farmer, but who is all about producing a crop in our lives. Let us not fear the plow that plows through our very soul. And Lord, may we know that when God is all that we have, like Job, you said, you are enough. God, thank you that you are a God that ultimately restores us. And we can say with Job that our Redeemer still lives. Father, we pray that you would even take the plow and plow the soil of our hearts, make deep furrows in our souls. In the last days, we know that you want to produce in our lives fruit 
until Jesus be returned. Father, that you would make our hearts strong, that we would have Genesis 50-20 vision. Father, that we would recognize the fruit that you're producing is precious in our life, that it is a process and that uh, we need to uh, adjust our attitude sometimes, that we need to not grumble during the journey that you promised, so as our days, so shall our strength be. The plans you have for us are plans for good and not for evil, to give us hope and a future. So, Father, thank you that we don't need to wonder how to live in the last days, that like a farmer, we keep working, like the prophets, we keep witnessing, that our hearts would be established, we would have long-suffering, that you would do this, and you would do more because you are God and there is no one like you. In Jesus' name, amen.